0: Mike, who is this? I don't know, but uh, let me throw a couple out. All right,
1: Fog Hat, Molly Hatchet. No, English. I don't know.
0: Wishbone uh, Ash. Ah, yeah. I, I, I have a couple of their albums. <laughs> yes.
1: They're darn good. <laughs> They're darn good. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wishbone Ash.
2: welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our third hour. Mike Johnson and Adarsh mushroom are sitting in with
3: us. Uh, you even had the album,
0: but I got you. Yep.
2: For this hour.
0: <laughs> I love doing that.
2: And here is our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group.
0: So, Wishbone, Wishbone Ash, kind of hard name to say. Wanted to say Wishbone Ass, but uh, it, thanks for uh, clearing that up for us. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's a group that uh, actually uh, they uh, kind of had a lot of influence on uh, on other groups like Iron Maiden, Van Halen. Leonard Skinner, Metallica, uh, and Opeth. One of my favorites. <laughs> what was that? Is that like a. Uh, I don't know. O P E T H. I, mean, I mean, are they like, like death metal yeah, or something? Yeah, kind of death metal. <laughs> um, and then uh, they just. I've never heard of the guys in there. There's a guy named Ted Turner, and. Uh, They were somehow involved with a group called King Crimson, which I remember them. Uriah Heap. You ever heard of Uriah Heap? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And a group called Trapeze. I don't know anything about Trapeze, but they're they're a good band. Are they? Yeah,
1: yeah. Trapeze. It's an old old band.
0: Yeah. Well, this is all old. Well,
1: yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) An old band.
0: (laughs) <laughs>
2: uh, let's get down to business i, guys. Quit. <laughs>
0: I quit you guys got some uh, stuff you want to talk about <laughs> we do have jeremy siegel coming out of the woodwork and saying well we're going to be back to two percent on the tenure you know this time next year so uh, this is kind of what we had been thinking might be the possibility Um, and there's you've got several articles here that sort of go along with that one of which is that mortgage rates are high because nobody's buying mortgages okay so what that's saying is well the Federal Reserve is not in the market buying mortgage-backed bonds I don't know I don't know if I I totally buy that. Um, You know, I I think that uh, the Fed getting out of the business of of buying mortgage backs is actually kind of allowing the market to reset at where it probably should be instead of, you know, it's just kind of gone back to, you know, what the levels ought to be, probably. And and if you got a 3.5% mortgage in the last few years, hang on to that sucker because <laughs> they ain't coming back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it's – if you look at the, you know, obviously the, the Fed, but on the bank side um, – it was an interesting uh, just tidbit from uh, Bank of America. This was uh, in the July 2021 uh, analyst call. Uh, the deposits exceeded $1.9 trillion and the loans were only uh, $900 billion. Um, so what you had, you had the banks. They had to put that extra to work earning something. And, and now at the time, mortgages weren't paying much. I mean, they weren't earning much on the mortgage bonds, but they they weren't buying them to trade. They're holding most, the majority of them, they're holding to maturity. Um, but you had the banks were huge buyers because you had- Of mortgage-backed bonds. Of mortgage-backed bonds. Now you're having, the banks are stepping away- fed stepping away and so that's why you had that that widening out on the spreads on mortgage bonds versus treasuries to the widest uh spread you know back to the financial crisis
0: period um and we we talked about and the other the other thing you said was that when people had to get out of stuff they get out of the most liquid stuff right which put selling pressure on mortgage backed bonds because they were easier to get out of yeah so you had a
1: lot of selling pressure, no buyers coming in. And so that's when you get those major dislocations in pricing, um, supply and demand, just I mean, in its purest form, really. Um, Still works. <laughs> so that, that's it's it's created uh, opportunities um, in various sectors of the market. And we talked about a couple of those mortgage REITs, I guess it was last week we talked about them. Um, and you you started to see those uh, spreads. Yeah.
3: Retracting. Those things have moved up
0: significantly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean the, the thing with mortgage backed securities. So, I mean, just to take a step back, uh, you know, when, uh, banks make, uh, loans, banks and other, uh, lending home lending institutions, they tend to not keep those loans on their balance sheets. They, you know, sell them to, um, uh, uh these mortgage uh, organizations namely freddie and uh, freddie mac and fannie mae and freddie mac and fannie mae package these uh, mortgages create uh, securities out of them and sell them to investors uh, but these mortgage backed securities have no credit risk uh, the only risk that they have is interest rate risk so mm. when we see you know something without credit risk uh, move the way uh, these securities have and the spreads between treasuries and uh, mortgage-backed securities widening as much as it did in the last few months, uh, you know, that's that's unusual. And that's when, you know, we felt that there were some opportunities there. And sure enough, here in the last month and a half, uh, the spreads have contracted uh, and mortgage-backed securities have moved up in price.
0: right. Okay, I've lived a fairly long life already by many people's estimation. Uh, I have been, this is something I figured out just today. I have been in the investment business exactly two-thirds of my life. So uh, I am uh, uh, 66 basically got in the investment business. Well, it's a little more than two thirds. I got in when I was 21 and I've been doing it for 45 years. Now, if you were awake during that time, and I cannot say I was always even awake, but there were times that I was awake and I was in the bond business and Then I went to work for a firm that also did mortgage-backed securities, which is a derivative of bonds. They really aren't bonds. We've described them. But I learned how the mortgage industry worked, and the reason I learned it as a bond guy is because they securitized them, and then people began to trade and buy and sell mortgage-backed securities. And that's where I learned about mortgage-backed securities. And when I saw all of this stuff happen over the last really three to three and a half months, it felt as if I had seen it before and still didn't make it any easier at first. But when I finally sifted through uh, what I saw to be, I felt to be the case, I realized that it was a buy signal for uh, mortgage back bonds. And why mortgage backs over the 10 year treasury? Well, number one, the yield, and specifically uh, the yield on some of these uh, mortgage REITs was going to be significantly higher than the yield on uh, treasury bonds. Just pure, straight treasuries. So that's one reason. And we are in we, – if we pretend like we're not in the yield business, we're kidding ourselves because our clients need yield. Anybody who is an, an a retirement investor – needs income. You've got to have income. So that's one reason. The other another reason. If we can obtain yield without taking credit risk, then that means that the the yield is more likely to happen for a longer period of time because the thing that you're getting the yield from isn't likely to default. So that's a big deal yield and low likelihood of default. So we we're we're two for two here, you know, (laughs) that's where I began to get excited about what I saw. I believe happening in front of my eyes with these things had gotten so incredibly inexpensive. Now, You know, a lot of people, they talk about asset allocation. All those kinds of things are good. But I believe at the root, you have to be uh, wise and right, if you can, about your investment selections. If you can do a good job on your investment selections, it floats a lot of boats.
1: Right. And like you said, um, you know, (laughs) you've got to be awake and paying attention first off, um, learn from what's happened in the past. Um, and just look for opportunities out there. Yeah. Um, so every market good and bad, uh, there are, areas to avoid, areas of opportunity, um, and you just have to pay attention um, and know what you own, why you own it, um, and make sure you're invested in a way that fits where you are at your point in life. Yeah. I did think it was interesting, Uh, Jeremy Siegel, who is – Generally, I mean, he's 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 all he's a perma bull. He always you know is out there talking you know how the market's going to go up, and most of the time, well, he's, I
0: bet he's a pretty happy guy it, too, it, you know, because most of the time he's right. Most of
1: the time he's right. Uh, uh, he's he's been very critical of the Fed uh, with raising rates. He thinks they're raising rates they they were behind the curve. First off, they raise right. rates too slow starting out of the gate. Now they're playing catch up, and he thinks they should, and that they will reduce the speed that they're raising rates. Um, in this article that came out, um, Jeremy Siegel says the U S economy is faltering. The fed may cut interest rates to 2% next year. Um, he also thinks that you're going to see stocks rally 20 to 30% over the next two years. Um, so you know, again, he's a perma bull. We um, don't know, uh, and quite honestly, uh, he, he could be right.
0: But of wh- everybody you listen to, who do you enjoy reading the most? Siegel. Siegel. I mean, do you enjoy reading Jeremy Grantham? <laughs> no, I mean the guy, he, and he he's just totally into being negative. Uh, yeah, Siegel's a positive dude. He is
3: and you know just to put it in context even if uh the stock market goes up 20% it's only going to go back to where it was a year ago that's right it's not going to make new highs that's right yeah
2: it could
3: it, it could yes
2: but there that's the projection is not as overwhelming as it sounds
3: is right it is. That, that that was my point yes that you know uh so and that's you know, that's how, um, interest rates work. You know, if a stock drops 50% or an index drops 50%, it takes a hundred percent to, you know, recover. Right. That. Right. But for, for people who are
1: still working, still contributing, don't stop. Um, I mean, it, it, dollar cost averaging, you know, you're, you're putting more in at the lower prices. I mean, it's, it's, for a younger person, what's going on right now in the market it's one of the best things that can happen to you, because uh, right. you have less that has gone down, and you're still making contributions. Uh, now, for those that are in retirement or nearing retirement, it's a different game, because uh, now you're getting ready to start taking possibly distributions to live on. Um, now you're you're in a different phase, and you have to be very careful on everything from the withdrawal rate, how much you're taking out, um, the the level and the frequency uh, that you're taking that out. And, you know, if you're taking a 4% withdrawal rate the first five years versus a 5% withdrawal rate the first five years of retirement, it makes a huge impact over your lifetime in terms of the, the likelihood of success, not outliving your money. All those things are crucially important and you have to be invested in a way that fits with that new new phase of life I mean 401ks 403bs they're great accumulation vehicles they're designed for dollar cost averaging and they they work pretty well Um, but they are not designed for when you start
0: the distribution phase no they aren't they really aren't and that's a big deal and I think people should be very aware of the fact that the way your retirement plan is set up is set up for accumulation. Once you enter distribution, if you rely on that same uh, asset mix to do your distribution from, you are flirting with disaster. Yeah. Potentially. Flirting with potential disaster. When you said that the market had to go back up uh another 20% to get to its former high. You were not talking about the Dow, which is no, the S&P n- 500. Yeah, near yes. its high. The the S&P 500 is at 4000 and change and it needs to get back to about 4766 somewhere
3: in there to it went uh, it crossed 4800 briefly. Yeah. Uh, I so
0: think it closed December 31 of last right, year at, at forty seven sixty. right. So uh, it's got to go back. So the S&P is much more tech heavy, right. which has collapsed a lot more than has. I mean, you look at what the damage that uh, uh, just uh, 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 just a Meta has done to the S and P. Um,
3: you know that that was a huge piece of it. Amazon was down over fifty percent. Yeah, yeah, a huge drop. Um, Your Dow stocks didn't tend to go down as much. No, and uh, you know, for the last few years, the Dow was the boring index. And now uh, we are seeing something similar to what we saw after the dot-com bubble burst in the year 2000, where a lot of money went into the Dow at that point and uh, came out of tech and went into the old economy, boring stocks that had earnings. Uh, So we are seeing something similar and... You know, the Dow has lagged uh, the S&P and the NASDAQ for a while, and now we are seeing rotation going back into the Dow. So this concept of mean reversion is still alive.
1: Right. I mean, the NASDAQ, uh, year to date, approximately still down 28% uh, versus the S&P, you know, closer to the 15% range. And the Dow's, you know, even less than that. So you're seeing that, that catch up, that mean reversion, if you will uh with with more value stocks.
0: That reversion is mean. <laughs> Not very nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mean reversion versus nice reversion. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. Uh no, I just blocking and tackling, you know, doing the doing the things that you have to do. And you know, I, I cannot look at well let me say this. Yeah, I can. I can look at meta, which is Facebook. Like you say, I'll always call it Facebook. I understand advertising revenues. $30 billion or whatever a year in positive cash flow. I also somewhat understand the metaverse, not from a software programming point of view, but from the idea of the potential for a revenue stream. What I don't understand and don't agree with is taking the revenues and the positive cash flow from one business and putting it into another one that may or may not work. Now, that... When I've seen that done in the past, it's never been a good idea because it's a it's a it's a redeployment of cash flow into something that is unproven. Let your shareholders decide what they want. You want to do uh, Meta? Spend it off into a separate business and go get funding for it.
2: All right, we got a job. You're listening. Idea.
0: No, I'm not done yet. And okay. then let the other one pay a dividend and let them enjoy what they've invested in.
2: You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh measure and Mike Johnson. He ran me up to the end. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
0: Okay, Mike. Robin Trower.
2: Yeah, baby! You looked over on my phone, didn't you? No, no I did. <laughs> Just bridge of sides? Yeah. Yeah. He was on that one.
0: So this is Robin Trower. I don't know that much about him. I mean, I've, he's been around forever. Yeah. What he's, do you know about him? I mean, he,
1: he never really made it big time. Um, He's kind of A Jimi Hendrix Sort of Jimi Hendrix knockoff um, And I don't mean that Disrespectfully he's really good um, Bridge of Size, I think was his big hit album um, But he just never could Never could quite
0: Break through It's just giving her the uh The, the permission To just turn him down <laughs> Oh my god, He is English by the way,
2: I want people to be able to hear. The no, I think he's pretty good. Too.
0: I think he's a pretty good. Uh, he was with Procol Harum. That's who he was with. Was okay. he really? Yeah, yeah. I think he's okay. No, I, I think he's 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 a great guitar player.
1: He just uh, he, he never could make it mainstream. I and mean, Jeff Beck kind of made it mainstream. He was always on the fringe, but everybody knows who he is. Robin Trower never quite got there.
0: Yeah.
2: All right, so...
1: <laughs>
2: you're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Darsh Mashrou and Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree. Tom was a little verbose going out of the last segment, and since it is his show, he is certainly entitled to do that. However, we want to help you make sure that you are in the right phase of your retirement income and investment planning. So give us a call at 859-233-0400. We would be happy to take a look at your portfolio and make sure that it is designed for where you are in life. That's a very important thing to know what you own, why you own it, and what it's going to produce for you. So 859-233-0400. Over to our host, Tom Dupree. All right.
0: I want to talk about a article that you guys set in front of me. It's from... Wall Street Journal, tentative inflation break. And this just drives me nuts. The Federal Reserve still has a lot of work to do to control rising prices. So I'm not even going to get into this article other than to comment on the assumption embedded in the title line that somehow the Federal Reserve has the power to control rising prices. Uh, It's like saying, you know, the the audacity of saying we can control the weather. Um, Now, there are things that maybe can be done by the Federal Reserve to uh, certainly control the price of money. But I I believe that uh, inflation and the kind that we have been dealing with was probably going to deal with itself anyway. Uh, You know, you cannot make prices go higher and stick because that assumes that you're now consuming, controlling consumer behavior and that people are doing exactly what you're telling them to do. And they're buying things for higher prices because they've somehow been told to by the federal reserve. And consequently they will not buy things for higher prices because also the federal reserve tells them to, this is how in some ways brain dead the, uh, financial press is when nobody that's working for the wall street journal digs deep enough to look at how patently absurd that statement is It's just the way i look at it
3: so i mean that there are two uh i guess ways of um you know viewing inflation um and the causes of inflation you know one is um what you would call uh, supply-driven inflation, which means that there's an actual shortage of goods and services, and there are also supply bottlenecks, which is preventing goods and services from you know getting to where they need to be. That sort of inflation is completely out of the control of the Federal Reserve uh, because the Federal Reserve really does not add to goods or services. Uh, right. it, it cannot produce anything. Um, now the other, uh, I guess view of what causes inflation, it's what's known as demand driven inflation, where if the federal reserve were to pump in a lot of money and make sure that that money goes directly into the hands of consumers, then consumers will buy things and bid up the prices of goods and services. Um, uh, if that sort of inflation if that is the cause of the inflation then that we are seeing, then in theory, the fed can also, you know, remove money from, uh, the system and try to tamp, uh, damp, uh, demand. Um, <coughs> it's, it's really not clear. Uh, there are two, uh, viewpoints on this as to what has caused this inflation that we've seen, uh, one argument is that the government and the Federal Reserve went overboard during COVID and just pumped in a lot of money and people had, since they were not going out and, you know, purchasing services that they normally would, whether it be restaurants, travel, you know, um, going to a hairdresser, uh, all that money went into goods and uh, there was a shortage of goods Um, and, uh the other view is that these shortages in supply whether it be commodities uh, goods labor uh, people you know uh, who will work or who will join the labor force are structural in nature and they are here to stay for some time and if that's the case then inflation could become a recurring problem like it was you know in the 70s uh, So again, it's not clear if it's purely demand driven, then yes, the Fed sucks out liquidity. You know, people go back to normal spending habits and inflation comes down. But if it's supply driven, then a lot of new supply has to come before, you know, inflation comes under control.
0: Right.
1: There are a couple. I want to throw this in just real quick as a side note. Um, You know, inflation, obviously, you know, your, your dollars don't go as far. Um, but there are some effects from that that are actually positive, uh, in terms of, um, contribution limits, things like that. I just want to throw these numbers out there. We're getting close to year end and looking, you know, into 2023. They've posted now uh, what the 401k contribution limits, IRA contribution limits. And I think that is something that's important to look at. So just real quick, let me just throw the numbers out. So in 2023, um, for 401k, 403b, uh, contribution limits with the catch up. If you're over 50, you can actually put up to $30,000 a year into a 401k, which they increased, um, you know, social security, there's the inflation adjustment on social security, uh, for IRAs, uh, they increase that, um, to 6,500. And then there's a catch up contribution on that as well. The annual gift uh, exclusion—they increase that to seventeen thousand a year, uh, twenty-seven seven for married couples filing jointly. Uh, That's a standard deduction. So there are things, and you think about it, inflation—the numbers we're seeing right now are likely transitory. I mean, we're starting to see inflation numbers come down. These things. Are static. I mean, they're not going to yeah. reduce the contribution limits the next year. So there, there are some positive things. This comes into the 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 planning part. You know, looking at what your contributions could be, how much you're putting back. This is where the long term plan, uh, financial plan, comes into play. And so it's using these things uh, to your advantage, so you can put more in on a pre-tax basis or after tax depending on your situation so always look at you know the give and take you get your dollar's not going as much but you can put
0: back more so why do we talk about inflation like we do because as retirement investors we're not just investing in a vacuum We're investing with a purpose, the purpose of which is to allow the money that people entrust to us to produce uh, distributions to basically throw off enough income for our investors, our clients to buy them stuff. As, they go, as they're entering into retirement or in retirement. The stuff that they buy gets affected by inflation, meaning it costs more. It costs a lot more this year than it did a year ago. Where's that difference going to be made up from? If we're able you know, to invest in such a way that can begin to outpace inflation and taxes. Then we're getting our job done. That's why we talk about inflation, because inflation is something that every retirement investor has to deal with. We're not just talking about it because we're interested in economic stuff. Like we're economics geeks, well, Darcy is. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's it's he not all oh, shucks. <laughs> it's not. You know, that's actually a. That was actually meant to be a a, a compliment. Uh, it's because we look at economics and the things that affect the economy as part of a whole. We're not in a vacuum here. We're exposed to the elements, if you will. And therefore, when we're talking about um, companies and, and uh, things that we invest in, it's with the goal of trying to beat inflation to sort of invest in something that actually outpaces inflation. On your behalf, you know, for you to make enough money over and above inflation that you're actually increasing going forward. Now, is that possible? Sometimes it is with some things. Yes. That's why we keep working on it. That's why we don't give up and quit. That's why we do research and, uh,
2: why there's no set it and forget it also that's right it's constant supervision
0: yeah so you know and uh but if you think you're gonna learn about what you need to know by reading the wall street journal i mean I don't have a problem with the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I actually do, but I don't need <laughs> to get into that. <clears throat> and I got a big problem with Barron's on certain things. But um, you're going to have to dig and learn and, and understand the nature of what capital and wealth really is. If you think capital and wealth equals money, you're already hamstringing yourself. Wealth. Is productivity. It's the ability to take X and and input Y and make Z, which has a higher value than the inputs. That's called value added. That is the nature of capitalism. That's how it works. It's how it always worked. It's how it always will work. And it's not going away no matter what Governments or left-wing philosophers try to tell you that it's unjust and somehow not going to work anymore. That's how human um, endeavor works. It hasn't changed. And if you want to know the nature of how to make your money grow and your wealth grow, and I don't care about the inflation rate, what I care about is you understanding the inputs that are required to get the
3: output that you, that is desired. I I, I was, yeah, I was going to add, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, what, what are the investment implications? So even if there is inflation, because that's something that is on everyone's mind, everyone is afraid of inflation uh, but in, in an inflationary environment uh, common stocks are still uh, you know a relatively good place to be because companies are price setters they're not necessarily price takers now uh, there are certain right. commodity companies stocks you know which are price takers but they also tend to benefit during inflationary environments because prices of commodities tend to go up Um, so inflation itself should not scare people away from investing because common stocks are actually uh, a good hedge because they you know when you look at a company's balance sheet the assets in general tend to go up in value as inflation goes up and the liabilities tend to go down in value because uh, in inflation adjusted dollars their liabilities are declining so uh, common stocks tend to be a good place to be.
1: Well, and, uh, that's part of the reason uh, you've seen tech get hit as hard as you're talking about, you know, physical assets on the balance sheet. You know, uh, a lot of the assets of more tech growth companies, uh, It's a lot of it's goodwill, you know, it's anticipation of future earnings. Uh, and so you have the pricing that got out of whack, but then they also don't have hard assets um, on the balance sheet. Um, that's why part of the reason you've seen more, if you want to call it value sectors, uh, companies that have cash on the balance sheet that it's now earning more than it was eight months ago, uh, real estate, uh, physical real estate, things like that. And all of these, there's, there's, there's shades to all of these areas, you know, just saying stocks are good inflation, uh, hedges, long-term inflation hedges. That's true, but there's certain areas that may be better or worse. Um, same thing with, you know, if we're talking real estate, there are different types of real estate, you know, bonds, there's different types of bonds, all of these things, there's large categories. And then you get right. into the specifics, um, on a company basis, um, I mean, everything you can drill down into it. Um, so, you know, what we're seeing now uh, are areas that have more um, tangible assets behind them. Those have held up better uh, and good management. They're able to, to deploy that cash uh, in this environment. Um, going, going forward. Going forward. Um, so it, it's long-term you want management that thinks long-term not management that's beholden to you know short-term things i mean you could you could make the argument that meta uh, has taken a long-term view on this uh metaverse thing but man um the 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 get the bet that they're placing on that i mean that's that that's what's ludicrous uh, in my mind um just the the shareholders are telling you, no, uh, you you know, I mean, I think it's still, it's still down, uh, close to 70% year to date. It's come up a little bit. Um, but you know, 750 billion or so that's come off market cap. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but the market's not rewarding that long-term, uh, uh, risky bets in this kind of environment right now. There, it's rewarding companies that have physical assets, repeatable business, and long track records.
3: Yeah. You know, yeah. Go ahead. I, I was going to say it's like all of a sudden the market realized that you know earnings matter and valuations matter, and it had forgotten you know for yeah for a while. And this tends to happen. Yeah. And then there was a reality check right
2: it's like tom says good companies go up or what how say that for me tom the st- good companies the stock market goes up and down good companies endure and that's the story that we're seeing right now yep oh my gosh gonna leave me hanging I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna start that that music if it'll if it'll go oh my gosh there we are. Lord, bail me out. You know, he, he was verbose the last segment, and now he's leaving me with <laughs> an extra minute and a half to fill. Be careful what you wish for. We want to make sure that you are positioned correctly for the stage of life that you're in. Markets like this are the reason we are in business and do what we do, because we actively manage. We don't set and forget. You need to know what you own, and we would love to help you by taking a look at your portfolio. If you'd like for us to, give us a call. Our reviews are complimentary, and you are at no obligation at all for us to take a look. Call us, 859 233 You can also go to our website, dupreefinancial.com. And you will find some interesting articles about the markets and uh, some insight on investment perspective. We appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving weekend.
1: I'm so unforgiving.